Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. On your handout, uh, there is a timeline. You may need a magnifying glass to see it. If you're watching online, please email me or message me, and I will get you a copy of this. Uh, essentially, we have studied prophecy that has been fulfilled since 1970 or, or 70 AD when the Jews were dispersed to 1917 when they were brought back to the land to 1948 and we've seen all the prophecies and scriptures that have already been fulfilled and leads us up to where we are now with Russia aligning with Iran and Syria and Turkey and several other nations and Israel now uh, bringing uh, normative relations or normalized relationships with potentially Saudi Arabia, with Bahrain, with United Arab Emirates, and they are not part of the Ezekiel 38 Gog-Magog alliance. So everything happening in the world today was predicted, the geopolitical climate, and even that push for globalism, and all of that. So we've made it up to where we are right now. This timeline is essentially the last seven years. Most people call it the tribulation. In the Bible, it's only known as the 70th week of Daniel. It's a seven-year period that starts with the coming of the false Messiah and ends with the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, prophecy uh, is very interesting because throughout the Bible, there is what's called expositional consistency. And what I mean by that is when something is defined in one verse, and at least two other verses, you can use that definition for everywhere you find uh, that uh, particular definition. I know that's kind of confusing what I just said, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Today we're going to talk about the rapture of the church. All right. We know that um, about 1830, a young lady had a dream. She shared it with her pastor, and her pastor started what's now called the pre-tribulation rapture idea. Up until 1830, no one believed it, no one wrote about it. In fact, every early Christian author from Arrhenius, who was Polycarp's disciple, who was John's disciple, who wrote the book of Revelation, said that the church would be persecuted under the false Messiah, the Antichrist, and it would be a time of purification for the body of Christ, for the bride to make herself ready for the wedding day, the rapture of the church. Today I want to talk about the rapture, and I would like for you, if you would, to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as you turn there, I want to make a couple of statements. There are two resurrections in Bible prophecy left to happen. The first one is the rapture. What's the second one? Yeah, at the end of the millennial reign, for the white throne judgment, all the dead will be raised and they will be judged. So there are only two resurrections 
that will occur according to Bible prophecy. The rapture, and then the one at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, where everybody will be raised for judgment. There are only two comings of Jesus Christ left. And what are those? The rapture of the church. That's where he appears in the air and he gathers together the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And the second coming of Jesus Christ when he comes to Megiddo to fight the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan himself and all the armies of the world. Those two comings are very clear. The rapture is called the coming that no one knows the day or the hour. We found out that that is actually a reference to what? The Feast of Trumpets. It's the only feast that no one knows the day or the hour when the feast begins. It's the new moon, the crescent moon. So there's two witnesses that look for that moon. They know the season, they just don't know the exact day or hour. So that verbiage in uh, Hebrew thought, when Jesus said that, hey, we're going to know the signs, the season, but we will not know the exact day or hour. That's the thief in the night rapture, okay? The second coming, everybody knows the exact day Jesus will come. It's seven years from the time the Antichrist confirmed that covenant with many. So we know exactly, and the world knows, and they will be gathered at the Valley of Megiddo to fight Jesus Christ when he comes at the second coming. So the second coming is not secret. It, it's not like a thief in the night. Everyone will know, and they'll be gathered to fight Jesus when he comes. The rapture is the only secret one. And we know in the Bible, the rapture is really defined in 1 Corinthians or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 15. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, I'll read it. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive and left at the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and remain uh, will be caught up or gathered together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we always be with the Lord. I want you to notice this about the rapture. Caught up there is harpazo in the Greek. In Latin, it's raptura, where we get the term rapture. Rapture is not in the Bible. If you search it, you can't find it because it's the Greek word of this being caught up, harpazo. And it's literally rapturo or rapture in the English. I want you to notice this. We are gathered together where? Where does it say? In the clouds, in the air, right? Flip over to Matthew 24. And many pre-trib guys say Matthew 24 is talking about the second coming, not about the rapture. Well, it's interesting that they say that. Because in verse 30 of Matthew 24, and by the way, Matthew 24, the disciples said, Lord, what's going to be the sign of your coming? What should we, the church, be looking for? And Jesus gave all these signs and then in verse 30, this is rapture verbiage. We just read it in 1 Thessalonians 4. Note this. 
and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And all the tribes uh, of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. We just read that about the rapture. By the way, next week, I'm going to go over all the verses that deal with the rapture. And each one says it's a glorious appearing. There's not one verse in the Bible that says it is a secret event that no one sees. Not one. It says they'll all be shocked because it'll come like a thief in the night, but they will all see him and mourn. And we're going to go over all of that next week. So I know some of you guys are like, really? What? Well, let's just see what the Bible says, right? Remember, a pre-tribulation rapture view wasn't even part of the church theology or doctrine until that late 1830s. It's a very young doctrine. All right, notice what he says here, exactly what 1 Thessalonians we just read. All the tribes will mourn, they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, note this, and they will gather together his elect. By the way, everywhere in the New Testament that phrase is used, elect, it's talking about the church. Expositional consistency. One time it talks about elect angels. Just once. The rest is the church. His elect from where? The four winds from one end of the what? Sky to the other. What did we just read in 1 Thessalonians 4? Hey, those who are alive and remain will be caught up to the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and will be gathered together to him. So this is rapture verbiage. In fact, Matthew 24, the whole thing is about the rapture. That's why later in the chapter it says, hey, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be at the well or at the... Um, where they're harvesting grain or, or smashing the grain up and says one will be taken, one will be left. It's all rapture verbiage. But we're going to get even clearer here pretty quick. Let's go on to First Thessalonians chapter 4. Back to verse 18. Therefore encourage one another with words. Harpazo there in verse 17 is where we get the, the phrase rapture. Matthew 24, 40, it says, There will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, Matthew 24, 42, for you do not know which day the Lord is coming. And the idea is this. The rapture is going to come like a thief in the night to the whole world, but not to the church. And the world will see Christ. We're going to talk about that next week. All right. I'm just skipping a bunch. But anyway, we're going to cover that next week, so that'll be good. All right. So Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, talking about the second coming of Christ. The second coming, God does not gather together anyone. In fact, we come with Christ at the second coming. Are, are you guys with me? So in Matthew 24, where it says, talking about the coming of Christ, he meets us in the air and they're gathered in the sky. That's rapture verbiage, not second coming. Second coming, we come with Christ. We are not gathered together with him. We're coming back from the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And in Revelation 16, 13, the world is waiting at Megiddo. So the whole world knows the exact day that Jesus will come. 
So back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And here's where it gets really good and very clear. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep or dead, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Note this, when you die, uh, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord, right? Okay, so their souls are in heaven, but their physical bodies are still buried on the earth, decomposing. So their soul will come back and their decomposed bodies will be rebuilt. This mortal will put on immortality and they'll be given a body that will never again pass away. Our bodies, those who are alive and remain, will be changed in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye. This mortal will put on immortality and our bodies will be changed. But the dead, the dead even though their souls are coming with Christ, their bodies will be reconstituted from mortal to immortal and their souls will be reunited with their new body, their new tent that's eternal, uh, no longer temporary. All right, so verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, harpazo, rapture, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now remember, in the Greek text, there's no chapter or verses. It's read like one letter. So let's go to chapter 5, verse 1, the next verse. This all flows together. And notice, now Paul's talking about the rapture here. Notice what he calls it. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Now as to the times and the seasons or epochs of the rapture, brethren, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord. Okay, this is, this is very important. That's referring back to the rapture. There's no doubt about it in context. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is talking about the rapture. Now there's no chapter breaks in the original. So Paul goes on and says, now as to the times and the season when the rapture is going to happen, Brethren, you have no uh, need of uh, anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord, referring to the rapture, will come like a thief in the night. I want you to remember this. The second coming will, is not like a thief. Everyone knows exactly the day Jesus will come, and they're going to fight him. So the day of the Lord starts with the rapture. This is ex very clear. But if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, you have to say the rapture is not the day of the Lord, yet contextually it is. It's very clear. Now let's, let's keep going. We'll come like a thief in the night, but you brethren are not in darkness that that day would overtake you like a thief. Because Jesus gave us signs. We're going to know not the exact day or hour, but we will know the season, maybe even the week. Man, we know he's coming pretty quick because all these signs have been fulfilled, which we're going to talk about the signs next week. Today, I'm mainly talking about the day of the Lord. 
So in hermeneutics, there's a rule that is more, more important than any other rule of biblical interpretation. It's context. Context, context, context. You can't take one verse out of context and make it say whatever you want. You have to read it in context. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5, contextually it is clear the rapture is the day of the Lord. Paul uses the term interchangeably. Now the day of the Lord is a long period. It's almost a thousand years because it ends with the white throne judgment. It's literally the day of the Lord's reign. Jesus will reign on this earth for a thousand years. So it's a little over a thousand years, this day of the Lord that begins with the rapture of the church. All right. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, all about the rapture. It continues in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, talking about the timing of the rapture and calling it the day of the Lord. And saying, you're going to be here for that day, but it won't overtake you like a thief, church. You're going to know the signs. Paul is going to tell them exactly what the signs are. Flip over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Starting at verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. That is the rapture, no doubt about it. That you be not quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by spirit or message or letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Referring back to the rapture. Let no one in any way deceive you for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Any honest pastor, teacher, someone who exegetes scripture, taking the simple rules of hermeneutics comes to this conclusion. The rapture cannot happen until the great falling away comes first and the Antichrist is revealed. Contextually, it's the only way from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 all the way to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there is no other way to interpret this text. Unless you are dishonest. Now I'm calling most of the evangelical church right now dishonest as when this hermeneutic is applied because no one wants to hear it. No one wants to hear, we're going to be here, we're going to be persecuted. Jesus said in Matthew 24, you're going to be hated by all nations on account of my name. To the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, that's written to us, church. And it says, man, some of you are going to be killed and you are going to be handed over. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Others, it says, you will be provided for. I'm going to give you the hidden manna. Somehow we can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast, but God is going to provide and meet our needs. And we will see things 
unlike anything else. Remember, the pre-trib rapture did not, it wasn't even on the radar. No one even considered it until the late 1800s. It is a new doctrine, and I believe it is a doctrine that opposes the clear teaching of Scripture. And here's what it does. Oh, God would never make his bride go through difficulties. This is one of the best arguments they have. Because nowhere in Scripture, if you say, can you just give me one verse that teaches a pre-tribulation rapture? Just one. They can't do it. They'll go, well, he'll come like a thief in the night. Okay, well, you put that in context, and guess what? There's always signs that precede the coming. So the day of the Lord is very clear. Starts with the rapture. We just read it. If you couldn't see that, email me your argument. And the day of the Lord precedes the apostasy, the falling away, and the man of sin being revealed. Turn to Matthew 24 really quick. And Jesus tells us when that end time apostasy is going to happen. By the way, in 2 Thessalonians, didn't he say, see to it that you are not deceived, that no one misleads you? Guess what Jesus starts these signs with? Verse 3 of Matthew 24. And he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Paul in 2 Thessalonians said, See to it that you are not misled. Why? Because they knew in the last days there was going to be a breed of Christianity that does not have a, a strong enough faith to think that they might have to endure to the end and endure persecution. Yet the New Testament is all about how to do that. Jesus said this, verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and mislead many. The first seal of Revelation chapter 6, the Antichrist coming. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, the second seal of Revelation chapter 6. It's on your timeline. See to it that you are not frightened. These things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be uh, famine in various places and earthquakes. The third seal. But these are merely the beginning of birth pains. And the fourth seal is death with all of these things. War, nation against uh, nation. Or remember, that's ethnos. That's uh, racial tensions. That's wars and rumors of wars. The second seal, third seal, famine. The fourth seal, death by all of these things. These are all natural events, by the way. Verse 8. But these are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then church... They will deliver you to tribulation. And they will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. At that time, verse 10, many will fall away. You know what that's called? Apostasy. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 said, hey, Paul, he said this, see to it that you're not uh, deceived. For our gathering together to in the rapture will not happen unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. That's why in 1 John it says, Little children, you've heard the Antichrist is coming. 
at that time, that's when the apostasy happens. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise to mislead many. And because lawlessness is uh, increased, most people's agape love, that's unique for the church, will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you, church, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the end, the end of the church age. In Romans, Paul says, when the fullness of Gentiles come in, then all Israel will be saved. Guess when Israel is saved? Right after the abomination of desolation, the exact middle of that last seven-year period, they see him who uh, they pierced, they mourn, they repent, and they're taken to the wilderness and protected for the last three and a half years. That means the fullness of Gentiles come in just prior to the abomination of desolation, the middle part of that last seven-year period. Peter's first sermon to the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 20, quotes Joel chapter 2. It's all about the day of the Lord. Man, the day of the Lord is a glorious day for the bride of Christ. We're rescued. And it's a dark day for the world. Why? Because God's wrath and judgment starts to be poured out. Prior to that, the first three and a half years are all natural things that are happening today. Famines, pestilence like COVID, Wars and rumors of wars. Folks, all of these are natural events. They are not wrath. The wrath of God does not start till the seventh seal is broken, and it begins with the seven trumpet judgments, and then the bowls of wrath in the last seven year, uh, last three and a half years of the 70th week. But that sixth seal, Acts 2.20, it says, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. The day of the Lord throughout the Bible refers to the rapture and then follows the judgment and finally the uh, white throne judgment of Christ at the end of the millennial reign. We already read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Well, there's only two comings of Christ left. The first is a rapture. That comes like a thief. The second is the second coming. That does not come like a thief. It's clear the day of the Lord starts with the rapture of the church. In fact, it says, you're not appointed unto wrath, but you will be rescued from the wrath that is to come on this earth. The rescuing is the harpazo, the catching up, the rapture of the church that happens just prior to the wrath. In fact, we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, that you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day, the day of the Lord, would overtake you like a thief. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, we read, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, speaking of the rapture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Note this. So that you are not lacking any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, who will confirm you to the end, 
blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rapture. You're, he's going to confirm you to the rapture blameless in Christ. Here it's no doubt the day of the Lord is the rapture. And throughout the Bible, the day of the Lord, before it happens, there is a great falling away from truth. But the remnant bride of Christ is purified because it's only in persecution has the church ever been without spot or wrinkle. A vibrant, glorious, powerful church. For some reason, persecution makes men and women, uh, instead of lukewarm, it makes them fiery for the things of God because your life is on the line if you're going to choose to serve Jesus Christ. Who will confirm you to the end blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking of the rapture that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 so the day of the Lord begins with the rapture I'm skipping a few things in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5 Paul said I have decided to deliver such a one over to Satan remember this guy was unrepentant in the church so Paul was practicing church discipline. And he said, I've decided to turn this guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that, note this, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. When are our spirits saved? When the rapture happens. Second Corinthians chapter one verse fourteen. Just as you also partially did understand us, that we uh, are your reason to be proud, as you are of us in the day of the Lord Jesus, because we're all raptured up and we're go to the bema seat of Christ, and we're going to look at each other and say, "Wow, we did it, we made it." I know whatever body of Christ you're a part of. At, at that beam of seat, we're going to be looking at each other and saying, we did it, man, because we're a functioning body. Churches are not meant for you to come Sunday morning and leave and not be a functioning member of that church. But see, each member is essential. And the toe doesn't say to the eye, I'm not essential, but you all work together for the common good. And when one member suffers, we all suffer. That's how the body of Christ is meant to be. And here it says, man, I'm going to be proud of you. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 14. And you're going to be proud of us in the day of the Lord Jesus, the rapture. Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 it says in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things which are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ the rapture if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture your fundamental first thing that you have to do is say the day of the Lord is not the rapture and yet every passage we have just read clearly says the day of the Lord 
is the rapture. It starts with the rapture. There's no question. So where do we get the pre-tribulation idea? From first world people that can't imagine they would have to suffer anything. Not from the Bible. It's not in there. I challenge anyone online, send me one verse that indicates a pre-tribulation imminent rapture because you can't find it. We already established the rapture couldn't have happened prior to 1967. Because even though Israel was in the land, they didn't even have Jerusalem yet. And the Antichrist has to confirm an already made treaty with many. Huh. And again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it's so clear. Jesus, the revelation of our Lord Jesus, we eagerly await that. That's the rapture. Who will confirm you to the end, the end of the church age, blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that's rapture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run or toil in vain. Again, the rapture. 2 Corinthians 1, 13 and 14. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end. Just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud and also of, of, of ours in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church. All right, so why did I spend all of that time establishing the day of the Lord starts with the rapture? Because Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the rapture as the day of the Lord. And in 2 Thessalonians, he gives the two major signs that must take place prior to the rapture. The great falling away from truth. That's why Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? That's return for the bride of Christ. And the false Messiah must be revealed. I got to tell you, there are many Christians today that have a nominal faith. And their pastors are saying we will not be here when the Antichrist comes on the scene. In fact, I heard two uh, big mega church pastors just last week say, if you see the Antichrist, your theology is wrong. Our theology is wrong. We might as well throw the Bible out the window. Okay, now I want you to consider this. Do you think the enemy has something to do with this? When Jesus said, see to it that you are not deceived. Paul said, when he's talking about the timing of the rapture, see to it that you are not deceived. Because many believers, the Catholic Church will think, man, it's the return of Christ. You know, many churches don't even believe in the rapture. Do you know that? Some of the high churches, they don't believe in the rapture at all. They believe Christ will come and bring peace. Who's going to do that? The false Messiah, the Antichrist, and they will follow the false Messiah. And when pastors stand at the pulpit 
and don't exegete the day of the Lord properly and tells their people that don't worry, oh, we'll never have to face hardship and we'll never see this Antichrist, the beast, will never have to see him. And if you see him, you might as well burn your Bible because, wow, our theology is completely off. Folks, I got to tell you, all they're doing is prepping those weak Christians to follow after this false Messiah because he is going to claim to be the Christ. We read two weeks ago in John, I believe, chapter 4, Jesus said, I came in my Father's name, and you rejected me, but one is coming in his own name, the false Messiah, him you're going to receive. The Jews will think it is the Messiah. The apostate church will think he's the Messiah. The Muslims will think he's the Mahdi, their version of the Messiah. The whole world is going to follow after the beast. And folks, the remnant bride of Christ is going to fulfill the Great Commission. And we will be empowered by God like never before. I believe we will do things even as Philip, when he was transported to the wilderness to speak to that eunuch. Jesus said, in the last days, man, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. There's going to be a great revival in the remnant bride of Christ. The gifts of the spirit will be uh, kindled and used not in the emotional hype that many churches do today but in the power of God for his glory I believe if we are here and by the way I still pray Lord come get us <laughs> get us out of here I want to go home today but I believe we need to prepare to endure to the end we need to say I'm going to stand for truth regardless I am going to be a man or a woman of God that stands for truth in the midst of being hated by all nations. I'm going to be one of those five wise virgins in Matthew 25 that had the extra oil and were ready to endure to the midnight hour before the bridegroom actually came. The foolish virgin said, oh, he never make us stay to the midnight hour he would never do that to his bride to us so they didn't get extra oil they had their lamps they were lit they were waiting for the messiah the bridegroom ah but their lamps went out they fell asleep they were not prepared to endure to the end so next week we're going to finish our little uh talk on the timing of the rapture and go through the rest of the signs um and then we're going to go back to ephesians and we're right at the armor of God. Isn't that appropriate? Because folks, in order to be victorious as a child of God in these last days, you are going to have to armor up. You're going to have to fight the good fight. And folks, one of the greatest weapons we have is love. Think about that one. But we're going to get into the armor of God, not next week, but the following week. I can't wait for that. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week.